just finished up the book of First John. And pretty soon, I'll be going on probably to another expositional series. But in the meantime, I'm going to take a little detour and basically uh, touch upon this subject of faith and doubt in a little mini-series. And this morning, as you can see, the title of the message is Faith-Filled Doubt. What on earth could that mean? Hopefully we'll find out together with God's blessing. I want to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. This is the resurrection chapter. It records the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it also gives us a glimpse, along with the counter, its counterpart in Acts 1, of the ascension of Jesus. And then we find at the end, in chapter 28, verse 16, the, what is known as the Great Commission. Listen as I read God's word, Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God add the blessing to this, the reading of his holy word. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, once again, we know that we will not understand your sacred scriptures, for they are spiritually discerned and without the help of the Holy Spirit, we will not understand truth even plainly spoken. Father, there is a veil over our hearts by nature, and we don't have spiritual ears to hear, but we ask you, Jesus, to give us that today, and we pray in your name and for your sake. Amen. A few years ago, I'm not sure exactly how many now, but it may be three or four years ago, a movie came out on the resurrection called Risen. Any of you, did any of you see that? Some of you did. Uh, starring Joseph Fiennes as the centurion. And when it came to the big screen, I often am disappointed by a lot of Christian films that come to the big screen because they just don't stick to the script. They just read the script right here. <laughs> but they can't even get that straight so often. But this was very interesting and intrigued me because it's a movie about faith couched in the narrative of doubt. 
It's a narrative of doubt, a story of doubt that ultimately points to and illustrates faith in the Son of God. What a refreshing concept that it deals honestly with doubt. Doubt, my friends, is something, if the truth be known, almost every person will experience at some point in their life. Yes, I'm talking to you, Christians, even you. Some of you don't need me to convince you of that. You already know it. It's already been part of your experience. You see, if you consider the issue of doubt in the Christian life, perhaps the one place you would not expect to find it is in the passage that we just read. As Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and before he does, gives the great commission, promising to be with us always, even to the end of the age. What better context? How, after having witnessed many of these and those that were there, many of them had seen the risen Christ in those 40 days after his resurrection. Over 500 witnesses is one of the best attested things that has ever happened in history, in recorded history, because of all the attestations and the eyewitness accounts. And yet, did you hear that in the text? What was said? In verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Are you kidding me? Do you think you and I would doubt if we'd seen the risen Christ? Perhaps it's possible. This tells us it is. So what do we do with that? You see, Here's where we find it, in the most unlikely place. And although unexpected, it is especially in context comforting to us who believe. It's comforting to Christians, helping us understand more about the very nature of doubt and faith. Faith and doubt. In this series, I'm trying to approach that in this little mini-series. So, for those who struggle with faith, if that's you today, or for those who aren't currently struggling in faith, but may one day be, there's much to learn about this subject. And here's our outline today. Pretty simple. Understanding doubt, trying to get a little better grip on it, what we're talking about, how it reveals itself, where it shows up, So understanding doubt, then living with doubt, and finally worshiping with doubt. Understanding doubt, living with it, and then worshiping with it. That seems almost bizarre, doesn't it? Let's dig in. Understanding doubt. Hebrews 11 tells us something very interesting. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of Of things not, what? Seen. You can't put eyeballs on it. The object of faith is something that you and I can't presently touch and handle. Now, the original disciples did, and we have their testimony and their witness to that. They did put their hands on God. But you and I can't. So the writer of Hebrews says, 
It's something that is there, but it's not something you can see. And I believe in having a faith of conviction and assurance. Yes, that's possible. Yes, that should be the norm. And you know what? I do have a faith of strong conviction that these things are true. Most of the time. And yet, doubt is often a part of the experience of faith. God's invisibility almost guarantees that we will experience times of doubt and uncertainty at some point. Why? I just said it a while ago. He's not here bodily anymore. The disciples could touch him when Jesus was here on the earth. We can't see him now. We believe in him and trust him by faith. So is it surprising that we might wake up some morning and not be as sure? Wonder, is this really, is all this really true? Is what I believe really what I believe? And is it really going to happen? You see, my friends, doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. Doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. But you know what you do when you got a skeleton in the closet? You bring it out into the open. There's no better way to deal with a skeleton than bring it out and open it in the light of day. Invoke the sunshine law. Bring it out. Don't hide it. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't try to keep pressing it down. Bring it out. Call it what it is. Name it. Doubt. It's far healthier. You see, doubt coexists along with faith many times in the believer's life. For in the presence of absolute certainty, who would need faith at all? If it was absolutely beyond all shadow of a doubt. If it was impossible to doubt, why would we need faith? And yet the Bible tells us what? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. You want to please God? He didn't give you what he could have, but he didn't because he wants your trust. Now, it's not an irrational trust, as we're going to see more next week. It's not something you're taking a leap into the dark with no foundation. No, not at all. Quite the contrary. It's our friends that do not believe and disbelieve. They are the ones that are taking the larger gamble and the leap in the dark. There's far more to suspect their doubt than there is to suspect our faith. But, to the point today, You see, faith and doubt often go together. They're part of the same experience, and that same experience is a life of faith. And yet doubt is often mixed into that. It often surfaces in the walk of a child of God. A walk of faith, a life of faith. You see it in Abraham. You see it in Isaac. All throughout the Bible, you see it. The disciples the very chosen ones of Jesus. 
Now, note well, this is important. Note well, doubt is not equivalent to skepticism. A skeptic is one that's made a decision to doubt a matter on a matter of principle. Basically saying, I am going to go on record, I'm going to disbelieve that, I'm going to doubt that. That's not doubt, that's, that's skepticism. Neither is it a kind of unbelief or disbelief that decides to have no faith in God. I will not ever trust a God like that because that happened to me, I am never going to believe in him. That's not, un, that's not doubt, <laughs> that's unbelief, disbelief. Refusal to believe. That is defiance. It's an act of will that is defiant rather than a difficulty of understanding. That's what doubt is. It's a difficulty of understanding. Difficulty understanding is not doubt. <laughs> it's not something to be ashamed of that you don't get it all, or that you can't comprehend how it all fits together, or because you don't know and you haven't sat there and seen the movie reel of every single part of it. We shouldn't be so surprised by doubt when it comes, when it shows up in the life of believers. <laughs> doubt comes in all shapes and sizes, my friends. <laughs> Listen to this quote from uh, Frederick Buchner. He says, whether your faith is that there is a God or, listen carefully, that there is not a God. That takes far more faith, by the way. He says, whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is no God, if you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or you're asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Keep it awake and moving. That's pretty good. Now, did you pick up on that, what he was saying at the beginning part of that? Whether you believe God exists or he doesn't exist. If you're an atheist or an agnostic hearing my voice, either way, you have faith. You cannot help but have faith in something. You have faith, you have to have faith, and Whatever faith you have, you will doubt on some level at some point. Whether you're an atheist or a theist, whether you believe in God or don't, you will doubt whatever faith you have at some point. Listen to this quote by none other than uh, the uh, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. He said, for nothing worthy proving can be proven nor yet disproven, whereof you be wise, cleave ever to the sunnier side of doubt. <laughs> cleave, hang on to the sunnier side of doubt, because you're going to have it no matter what, if you're honest. There's a bunch of people lying to themselves and telling themselves they have no doubt about their worldview that's opposite of Christianity. They do. They're lying and deceiving themselves. If you believe you don't have sometimes doubt. Now, let's think about living with doubt. Tried to give you a little 
handle on trying to grasp it, understand it a little better, understand that it's not strange, really, that the two bang into each other and collide in our lives as believers. But how do we live with it? Nowhere in Scripture is doubt commended. Do you know that? It's not something you're being, getting a, a, an applause of heaven for if you doubt. You don't get brownie points for that. Nowhere is it commended, but everywhere in the Bible, it seems, it's accommodated. It's accommodated to your and my weakness. Isn't that great? Isn't that good news? Remember Gideon? A lot of people think, you know, I, uh, I had a friend in, in, in college that chose her husband, whether to marry this clown, who, by the way, left her for another edition a few years later, uh, because she basically put out a fleece trying to follow the biblical example of Gideon. That's one of the most horrible, stupid, unbiblical things that was ever done. Gideon was not trying to find God's will. He knew God's will. God had told him he was testing God, and he was basically saying, unless you do it this way and do it that, and then flip it over and do that. Total unbelief. And yet God accommodated him. Thomas, unless I put Jesus. Here you go, Thomas. Take your best shot. Tell me what you see. Tell me what you feel. Tell me what you're touching. What, God knows the frailty of our human nature, and he responds to our doubts and to our weaknesses with steadfast love. Steadfast love. <laughs> Here's another one of those, those uh, quotes by the, uh, the, uh, the ever-quotable C.H. Spurgeon. When you can, can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. When you can't figure it out, you can't see where it's going and how it's going to get there, you trust his heart. He's a father that loves you. And he will withhold no good thing from his children. There's an interesting passage in Romans 13, 11 through 12. It says, the night is nearly over and day's almost gone. The idea here is that the Christian life is kind of a walk in the dark. Certainly a shadowy walk sometimes. Sometimes it even goes through valleys of shadow of death. Paul also used a classic illustration in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, now we see but what? Through a poor reflection. We see through a poor reflection in a mirror. He said, we can, we can get some of it, but we can't get it all. There are many things that we should not expect to be clear to us. This side of glory. This side of heaven, you and I should not be stumped and get mad at God because we can't understand all his doings and his works. Interestingly, the psalmist in Psalm 42, 9 and 10, he's helpful because he shows the psalmist there talking to God about doubts and difficulties with brutal honesty. Listen to this. I say to God, my rock, we, why have you forgotten me? 
Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppressors of the enemy, oppressions of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? How's your God helping you now? Hebrew. God, why are you letting this happen? Are you really good? Do you really care for me? But with honesty, this is recorded in God's holy book. Doubt often means asking questions or voicing uncertainties, but from the standpoint of faith. Yes, voice your uncertainties. Yes, express your doubts. But stand on the rock. Stand on the foundation of faith that God is still the ruler. And though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. We confess that and we sing, this is my father's world. You see, doubt is a persistent feature of the life of faith. You don't believe it? Pick up this book. <laughs> Start reading it. Old Testament and New. Job, you know that story. You don't think he struggled with doubt? Whether God was good, whether God was really going to be there in the end? Absolutely, and he was pretty honest about it. Now, God kind of set the record straight for him a little bit later on, helped him uh, fill in some of the blanks of what he didn't know, but he just still didn't tell him all the things he wanted and didn't answer all his questions. The psalmists are full of this kind of thing. In the psalms, they start out complaining, well, God, where are you? Why are you going to let... Habakkuk, remember when we did that series? Habakkuk, oh, God, you left and we're, you're not going to ever... No, you're not... Listen to this quote by Philip Yancey talking about those who struggle with this. He said, first, I tell them that they're in good company, if you doubt, as a Christian. When I speak to college students, I challenge them to find a single argument against God in the older agnostics, Bertrand Russell, Voltaire, David Hume, or the new ones, Richard Dawkins, or Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris, that is not already included in this book. Did you know that? Those guys hadn't found anything. There's nothing new under the sun in this sense. It's already right here in the pages of the Bible. And God put it there for doubting Christians like you and me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? He says, that's, that's not in, in the book, the, like Psalms and Job and Habakkuk and Lamentation. I have respect for a God who not only gives us the freedom to reject him, but also includes the arguments we can use, and they're in the Bible. God seems rather doubt-tolerant, actually. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a picture. <laughs> I mean, to do that, you would think God's apparently, uh, he, he's not going to be taken back. He's not going to be thrown off by this if we doubt. You see, faith in Jesus does not mean living a life free of doubts any more than it means living a life free of suffering or of trials or of temptations. Do you get a pass on those? Do you all, if you do, please tell me how to get it. 
Because I can't get one. I seem to have to deal with those at some point. Me and my loved ones and people I care about like you. If you don't get a pass on those things, why should you get a pass on doubt? God owes me to be so strong and vibrant in my faith that I will never, never. You know what? Sometimes God works more through and on, uses you with your weakness than he ever does your strength. I'm a testimony to that, believe me. If he's ever used me, it's probably in my weakest, in my brokenness, not in my strength, in what I think that I have to offer him and his kingdom and his church. Think about this, brothers and sisters, listen to me. If people can't take their doubts about faith to church, where can they take it? Hmm? Tell me. If you can't bring it to church, where are you going to take it? You going to take it to the local atheist club and go in there and try to do do a duel with them? Their arguments are not as strong as you people tell you they are and think that they are. Finally, We've tried to understand doubt. We've, we've talked about living with it now. Something that's inside and is going to be there from time to time. Especially when circumstances warrant and bring it to light. But what about worshiping with doubt? Doesn't that, doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? Doesn't that sound an, like an anomaly? And yet, according to our passage, the disciples went to Galilee following Jesus. And it says they worshipped. And then it says, but some doubted. (laughs) Apparently, their doubt didn't keep them from having enough faith to leave everything and go all the way to Galilee again. Trusting still in Jesus. And yet they had doubt. Some of them did. Had the disciples lacked faith at all, they would not have gone to Galilee and worshipped their living Lord. They would have said like the guys uh, before the Battle of Sterling and, and, um, good grief, Um, William Wallace's time. Hey, we're not getting, we're not going, you know, get killed for these guys. We're going home. But they didn't. They had enough faith to follow Jesus even though there was some doubt mixed in. You see, this fact that they worshipped, though some of them were doubting, this fact reassures us that the absolute freedom from doubt is not a precondition to worship God. If you think you need to get better, if you've been waiting until... I come back to church because, well, I, haven't, I need to learn so my worship will be worthy. Your worship will never be worthy except unless it's full of unworthiness. There's only one worthy one, and his name is Jesus. It's not a precondition to worship if doubt is present. You don't get disqualified. Having doubt about things we do not fully understand is not ultimately incomparable, incompatible with worshiping. Having doubt about things we don't fully get yet 
doesn't mean your worship is incongruent and incompatible with God. Read Psalm 73 today when you go home. Oh, God, you know, where are you? And yet, in the end, through his still hurting heart, he worships. So many of the Psalms come and end there. You don't know this name probably, and I didn't either. Kathleen Norris is a poet, author, and uh, she wrote uh, of her experience in a Benedictine monastery, uh, something we advocate here, uh, not. But listen to this. She, uh, meaning Kathleen, when she, she went to her, the monastery and when she started out, they're full of doubts and immediately shared them with the monks. They did not seem the slightest bit concerned about her intellectual doubts and questions. Instead, they made sure she came to all the regular times of worship and prayer and liturgy. They taught her how to love God, how to speak with God, how to be with God, how to pray to God. Instead of answering her questions, they taught her how to worship. Did you hear that? They taught her how to stand in awe and fall before this great and glorious God who has saved sinners like her. Instead, they taught her how to worship. And through worship, she came to believe and gave her heart to God. See, you can come with your doubts. You can come to Jesus now, today, and any day. He's as near as the hand of faith. He asked me to remind you.